Good morning, Four Oaks Church. It is Pastor Paul. It is Wednesday. Let's check it out here. January 25th. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Four Oaks Pastoral Devotionals. Now, as I mentioned yesterday, we're doing a new format this go-around. For Romans Rewind, which we did all last year, we would come uh, here the, the week after a sermon, and we would sort of follow up the sermon for things that we had talked about application points, different questions of theology, those sorts of things. But but this season we're doing something a little different. We'll see how it goes. We are actually tracking the Sunday sermon the week prior, right? So that way, uh, we're walking through the passage together. We're looking at different aspects of it. Hopefully, you're gathering some interpretive tools that will help you interpret the Bible for yourself better in an ongoing way. And then we have... Sunday sermon. And then Monday, we start all over again. We may debrief a little bit from, from the previous Sunday, but then we'll start on next week's passage. And in this way, we're actually engaging in Bible study. So we are in Matthew chapter three. Let me read the passage for us. And let's pick back up from where we left off yesterday. Matthew 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And I do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, last time we talked about this idea that verse 1 and 2 really is, is, a, is a fulcrum in a lot of ways, a, a pivotal point for Matthew, because the last time we heard about Jesus, he was a young child living in Nazareth, and now we're fast-forwarding some 25, 30 years later, and it's not that what's happened um, has been inconsequential over those 25 years, it's more that it's been unremarkable in its, in its, um, in its rhythms of life, and so Matthew doesn't care to tell us anything about what's happened in the boyhood, young adulthood of Jesus, because it's not particularly, at least for the purposes of his book, relevant. What is relevant, okay, is this crazy man who has come out of the wilderness preaching a repentance of the kingdom named John the Baptist. 
And so when you look before and after what's before this passage, Jesus is a little boy in Nazareth. What's after this passage, Jesus is being announced as the coming king. So clearly this section of scripture is pretty relevant. So last time we said that one of the main ideas here in this passage is, is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent meaning reorient your life, um, turn from your sin, turn in faith to God, um, um, get your, you know, not just reorient, not just one aspect of your life, but in fact, because the kingdom of heaven is here, because the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, because the light is now shining into the darkness, this changes everything. This makes a claim on every aspect of our being. Okay, so that's kind of where we left off last time. What, what should we do next when we're interpreting a passage like this, particularly a narrative or biographical portion of Scripture? It might be a little different if we're looking at an epistle, for example, a letter, um, which is going to be more technically theological, uh, probably, versus a narrative story which embeds the theology in the story. Well, we're looking at narrative, biography, history here. And it's always helpful to note who the main characters are when you're reading a story like this. And so as we look at this passage, I think there we should hone in on three groups of people or, or three kinds of people, if you can, if you can say it that way, or, th or three main actors. That would be a better way to put it. And, and here are the three that I see. We obviously have John the Baptist, okay? So that's, that's character number one. Um, character number two would be the religious leaders and what they're doing here. And then finally, character three or group three would be the people who are being baptized. Those seem to be the three critical groups of people, all right? Now, at this stage of the game, in interpretation, we're not immediately jumping to application. We're not even immediately jumping to all the theological implications. What we're trying to do is to ascertain who everybody is and why Matthew has included them in the story, what their function is. All right, that's where we're going to focus here for these next few minutes. So let's start with John the Baptist. When it says in those days, John the Baptist, it's kind of like when your grandfather said, back when I was a boy, you know, it, he, there, there's this sense of we're, we're being transported to something important and monumental. And it says, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. It goes on to say, he wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Why, why is Matthew going into all these details? Well, I think he's tr clearly trying to evoke for us this image of the Old Testament prophet. In fact, Jesus says that there has been no man born of woman who's greater than John the Baptist. And so I think it's very appropriate here at the onset of Jesus's ministry to look at John as nothing less than the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He's the last, but he certainly is the greatest, even greater than Moses even greater than Elijah because of his proximity to Jesus, right? So, so when, when we have this idea that there is this prophet emerging from the desert and is proclaiming 
um, the forgiveness of sins and repent, I mean, repentance of sins and forgiveness of sins and the coming of the kingdom. And this is straight out of the Old Testament playbook. Um, this, this, the way that he dressed, where he came from. Now, people, people theorize what was John doing? Was he living with one of these sects like the Essenes and the will? Maybe we don't know, but we just know that this would have evoked images of an Old Testament prophet, maybe like Moses, maybe like Elijah, someone who's living on their own, someone who's, who hears the voice of God and who is called to come and to proclaim the word of God to the people. And we hear very clearly what John is doing. He is proclaiming a message of repentance. He's calling the people of Israel to repent, to turn their hearts to God because the coming Messiah is on his way, all right? And so in here, we have a, a quote from what appears to be Isaiah 40, okay? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. There's this, this is clear, this idea that, that John is coming to prepare the way for, for Christ, okay? As in the Old Testament prophetic tradition, and that he is baptizing, which was a sign of cleansing. Now, we're going to talk about baptism tomorrow because we want to get right now the scope of things, what each person is doing. But this baptism, this immersion into water, was to symbolize spiritual cleansing. We'll say more tomorrow. The second group are clearly the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And it's obvious that they have not come to be baptized. They have come to check this out. They have come to find out what all the hubbub is about. They have come to investigate, right? Who is this prophet who is preaching out from under the authority of the temple and its religious leaders? We, we even hear in other gospels them asking, are you the Messiah? Are you the promised one? Now, again, that, this idea of cross-referencing to other passages which record the same event well, also we're going to talk about this week, but again, not today. Right now, we're just trying to understand what function the Pharisees and Sadducees play, and it's very clear they stand opposed to the things of God because they do not come to be baptized, all right? In other words, they don't think they need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins because they're not the ones who are in need of the forgiveness of sins. For them, we can get an idea of their mindset or how Matthew or John the Baptist here recording Matthew identifies them. He says to them, do not presume to say of yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. See, their idea was, we have Abraham as our father. We're not under judgment. We're not under wrath. We're God's chosen people. Why would we need to repent? It's the Gentiles that need to repent. And what John is making clear here when he calls them, you brood of vipers, okay, is... He is clearly showing them as a group that is hostile. What is a viper? What is a brood of vipers? It's a snake pit, right? And snake pits, if you're an Indiana Jones fan, sting people, bite people, kill people, devour people. And this idea of them being a snake pit is that they're not there to protect the people and their religious life. They're, they're devouring them. And this is what makes them corrupt in their Heart. And so they don't heed John's call to repentance. They are merely coming to observe and to pass judgment. And John knows their heart, and he calls them 
out. So today we have John the Baptist, we have the religious leaders, but then we have um, the people, okay? And, and when we say the people, the, the, the bulk of the people who are coming out to him, look at verse 5, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, why were they going out to him? It wasn't to go and simply hear him or speculate or investigate. They were going out to hear him because they heard the call of God. They heard the call of God to repent. They heard the call of God to turn from their sins and to trust God. And they were being baptized as a symbol, right, of their turn of hearts. And so what Matthew is wanting us to do here is to say right at the onset of Jesus's ministry, there are two radically different responses. There is the response of faith on the part of the people, and there is the, there is the, the response of the hardened heart or lack of faith of the religious leaders. And in this way, Matthew is preparing for and pointing us towards what we're going to see unfolded in the life and ministry of Jesus to come. All right, so, so we kind of got this theme, right? Repent for the kingdom of God is here. John is the messenger in the Old Testament prophetic tradition. Okay, remember part of, part of Matthew's purpose is to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And then we have the, the repentant who are opening their hearts to God and being baptized. And then we have the religious leaders who are hardening their hearts to God. And so now we have um, sort of the main characters in view, all right? Tomorrow, what we want to look at here is then what is this, what is the function of baptism in this regard, okay? Because after all, he's called John the Baptist. And it's going to be important to understand because Matthew next week is going to talk to us about the baptism of Jesus, right? Now, obviously, baptism is going to be a symbol here, but the main thing we need to, to note from the introduction of these characters is that part, the, the, the kingdom that Jesus is coming to establish is not an external kingdom, but it is the, an internal kingdom over the hearts of men and women. So when, when, when we find here that John the Baptist is saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, okay, and that I'm preparing you for the coming of Jesus, and that he is gathering um, the wheat into the barn, and that he's going to save um, the righteous, and he's going to punish or chat or the chafe uh, with unquenchable fire. He's going to punish the wicked, and he's 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 setting us up for this idea that there's going to be a response that's called for when people are confronted with. Jesus. And it's much the same with us. It's exactly the same with us, right? Are we going to harden our hearts? Are we going to think we don't need Jesus? Or are we going to respond in faith and repentance like the people? And that this, that essentially Jesus is not coming to establish a political kingdom. We, we already see this, right? He's coming to establish rule and reign in the hearts of people. And that's, um, that's 
part of the essence of what Matthew is wanting to get after here. Okay, tomorrow we're going to talk about baptism. We're probably going to do some cross-referencing, okay? And then we're going to do a little more investigative work as we get towards the end of the week in terms of themes, but then how we apply this, okay? But be back here tomorrow. Hope to see you then. Thanks. All right, Lord, you do want to have a rule and reign over our hearts. You are not concerned primarily in this life to fix our lives, to make us more successful, to make us um, uh, more situated with a comfortable life we have. You're much more interested in transforming our hearts. And we pray, Father, that we would indeed trust you through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray.